Thank you, God. How wonderful you are. Now we will hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 37, 26-35. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I plan from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. And I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant, David. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Uh, This weekend, the staff and elders got to get together, got to get away together. Uh, It was fun. I hope you know this about your staff and elders. We really love one another. It's a real gift to be together, get to spend time together. Um, We eat together. We played games together. And just so you know, Marianne Porter won the whole weekend. Just so you know. You can ask her about that um, if you want to. But she won the whole weekend. She won the zilch game that we play, and she won everything else, too. So so we had fun together. We had a good time. Uh, It was a pleasure to be together. What we do, what we try and do, the center of what we're about is listening to the Lord together through His Word. Uh, And really, like that's the center of the Christian life, right? Is listening to the Lord together and allowing the power of the Word of the Lord to shape and change us. There are so many other influences that come at us from so many different directions, right? So many different pressures. Like, we could be a cool, relevant church, or we could be a different kind of church, or we could um, try and follow this... uh, cultural change, or we could try and change our ethics to be different. Our job is to listen to the word of the Lord and be shaped and changed by the word of the Lord. And so that's what we tried to do together this weekend, is to listen to the word of the Lord and be shaped and directed and guided by the word of the Lord. Because, as we talked about last week, the word of the Lord is the most powerful force in the universe. When the Lord speaks, things change. Reality changes. When, when God was sitting up with his angels and nothing had been created yet, he's just sitting around, the Trinity is sitting around and he's created some angels and he's sitting around and he goes, guys, check this out. Let there be light. 
And all of a sudden, light bursts forth out of darkness. Let there be the sea. Let there be land that rises out of the sea. Let there be animals. And there was animals. And every time he spoke, something significant happened. Like reality changed in some fundamental way. So that's one of the characteristics of the Word of the Lord. He creates. He makes new. A second characteristic of the Word of the Lord is that He gives order and purpose to what He creates. Like everything was made for Him. The Word of the Lord is the purpose for which everything exists. Even those things that choose to rebel against Him, that He is their purpose. He gives direction and purpose to everything. A third characteristic. So He creates, He gives order and purpose. He also interacts with and wants intimacy with His creation. Hebrews 1 tells us He spoke by the prophets in order to draw people to Himself. But in these later times, He has spoken to us by His Son, the Word Himself, Jesus. He is drawing us into intimacy with Himself. So creation, order and purpose, intimacy and interaction. And fourth, the Lord speaks victory. When the Lord speaks, battles are done. He speaks victory. Like in Revelation 19, the great battle that ends all of history and begins the new, the new creation. Uh, Revelation 19 and then again in Revelation 20. There's four chapters of build-up to this Armageddon battle in Revelation. And it's over in two verses. The Lord pulls the sword out of his mouth. The word of the Lord comes forth and the battle is over. There is no description of a battle because there is... No battle. Once the Lord speaks, victory is done. So the Lord creates with His Word. He gives order and purpose to creation with His Word. He interacts with and develops intimacy with His creation with His Word. And He speaks victory into existence. The Word of the Lord is powerful. We saw last week that the Word of the enemy can twist truth and can try and seduce us to Himself. And He can even use truth to seduce us. But this week we're going to look at how the Word of the Lord has the power to change reality and make things new. When evil attacks, the Word of the Lord comes to the defense of those who align themselves with Him. Those whose allegiance belongs to Him. Not because of our righteousness or our goodness, but for His glory. That's what we're going to see in our passage today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you created the world by your word. We thank you that you bring order and purpose to that creation. You're not just leaving us to drift off by ourselves. And we rebel against you, but you bring us back. You have purpose for us. We thank you that you want intimacy with us, that you're interacting with us. We thank you especially for the interaction, the intimacy that you provide to us through Jesus by your spirit. Father, we pray your spirit would be with us today and that you would draw us to yourself more and more as we uh, are together and as we study this passage. Would your spirit speak to us? And Father, we look forward to the ultimate victory when you will finally have victory over sin and chaos and death. You've already defeated sin and death, but they will be eliminated, wiped out of your creation. We look forward to the new creation when we get to spend eternity with you in your presence, in intimacy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So last week we looked at chapter 36, verse 1, through the beginning of chapter 37. And if we remember, last week we talked about the Rabshaka. And um, Stephen was supposed to shake when I said Rabshaka, like Mufasa from The Lion King, right? Mufasa, Rabshaka, right? It's supposed to freak us out. Thanks, Stephen. The Rabshaka came from Assyria's army and he was intending to seduce the people of God away from their first love, away from the Lord and into submission to the king of Assyria. What is this trust that you have? He said, you can't trust the Lord. The Lord sent us to defeat you anyway. Just give in to us. It's going to be easier for everybody if you just submit. There's no one for you to trust in. And as we talked about last week, that's all true if the Lord is not the most powerful force in the universe. If the Lord does not come to Judah's defense, it's much easier for Judah if they just submit because otherwise they're going to be slaughtered. Assyria was the most powerful force in human existence at the time. They really would have destroyed Judah and Judah has no hope for salvation if the Lord doesn't come through for Judah. But last week we saw that the Lord speaks a word through Isaiah and his word is almost dismissive of Assyria. He says, don't worry about it. Don't fear. I'm going to take care of Assyria. Don't worry about them. That's it. That's all he says at the end of our passage last week. But we're kind of left with the cliffhanger, right? What, well, what actually happened? Did the Lord come through? That's what we're going to find out and look at this week. Our passage today begins with a first taste of the Lord's working, the Lord's salvation. When in verse 8, it says, The Rabshaka returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. So what happens here is, the Rabshaka is at Jerusalem. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has been attacking Lachish. But he starts to go south, and the Rabshaka hears that the king of Sennacherib has started to go south because he has to deal with Egypt. Egypt is coming up to try and uh, uh, fend off any possible Assyrian attack. So the Rabshaka goes to the king of, of Assyria, and Assyria goes down south to fight against Egypt. So at this point, Hezekiah has got at least a little relief. Assyria is not gone. But he's got at least a couple minutes to breathe. And maybe, you know, maybe he can figure out a way to deal with this Assyrian threat. So, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, knows that Hezekiah might be feeling a little relief. So the next thing that happens is Sennacherib sends a letter to Hezekiah. Here's the letter. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. Shall you be delivered? Haven't the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezef, the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where's the king of Hamath? The king of Arpad? The king of the city of Sepharvaim? The king of Hena or the king of Eva? You remember last week, Rabshakeh was sent to seduce and kind of draw the people of Judah. He's done with the seduction. He's here providing just threats, right? Look, I've wiped out all the other gods, all the other cities. I'm going to do the same thing to you. 
Because there is no power stronger than Assyria. You can't stop me. It's not a seduction. It's just a threat at this point. He's done with the seductions. It's a blatant rejection that there is anything more powerful than Assyria in all the world. And if the Lord doesn't come through, he's right, isn't he? If the Lord is not more powerful and doesn't come to Judah's aid, he is right. Assyria is the most powerful force. Now, his job here, this letter, its purpose is to make Hezekiah anxious and fearful because what do we do when we're anxious and fearful? We do stupid things, don't we? Our culture is constantly feeding us anxious messages, messages intended to make us feel anxious. So we talked about last week, our devices, part of their purpose is to make us feel anxious. The news, part of its purpose is to make us feel anxious so that we can be manipulated more easily, so that we can be directed to doing what the culture wants us to do. Our job is not to listen, is to fast from and reject those messages wanting to make us feel anxious and listen to the Lord. When the word of the Lord speaks, he is much more powerful than any bad news we could face. There is nothing in the world more powerful than the word of the Lord. But fear-based decisions will lead us to making dumb decisions. And we allow ourselves to be controlled when we act out of fear. Thankfully, in response to this letter, just like in response to the Rob Shaka seduction last week, in response to this letter, Hezekiah decides to pray. Still, he says, sends no message to Sennacherib. He gives no response to Assyria. His entire response is to go to the Lord in prayer. How often is that the right response? Well, every time, right? It's always the right response. And I want to compare, just for a minute, compare last week's Hezekiah to this week's Hezekiah. Because there's a big difference. Last week, at the, end of, uh, at the beginning of chapter 37, Hezekiah goes in sackcloth and ashes to the, to the temple and sends a messenger to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, you've got to please pray, for, pray to your God for us because we got nothing. We're dead if the Lord doesn't intervene. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord will come through. That's last week's Hezekiah. And it's the right response. Let me make that clear. It's the right response. If you, all you have is fear and uncertainty, go to the Lord with your fear and uncertainty. If all you have is anger to the Lord, go to the Lord with your anger. If all you have is, I don't like you right now, Lord, go to the Lord with that. He can take whatever you have and when he moves, he can shape you just because you're going to him, right? He wants intimacy with us. And intimacy requires, sometimes we say really hard things. Sometimes all we have is fear and uncertainty. And that's all Hezekiah had when the Rob Shaka came to seduce him. It's all he had. I'm afraid, but he goes to the Lord. And the Lord changes him as he goes to submit to him. This week, we see a much more confident Hezekiah. Listen to this prayer. So first, he takes the letter that he's received, and he goes into the temple, and he lays the letter out in the temple. He lays it out, and he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, 
You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and all their lands. And they have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is a totally different Hezekiah, isn't it? Last week it was fear and uncertainty. This week, Lord, look, you are Lord. In fact, I'm not even that worried about our situation. But look what he said about you. He said, you're not God, but you are God. Come through, show off your power and your glory to all the nations so that everyone will know that you really are the Lord. If you come through in this situation, everybody else is going to know. Hezekiah rejects Sennacherib's argument, right? He says, no, no, I don't have to deal with humanity. I have to deal with the Lord. I don't have to deal with the most powerful uh, military force in the world. I have to deal with the Lord. That's a much more powerful force than Assyria. He refuses the seduction of the Rabshaka, gives his full allegiance to God. He trusts in God. He knows who has the final say. It's God. Again, when we turn to the Lord, even when all we have is fear and uncertainty, God can change us. By our intimacy with Him, He changes us and makes us new, as He does here with Hezekiah. Hezekiah becomes a new kind of king at this moment. He turns to the Lord, and the Lord makes him new. I want to note a couple things about prayer and us. Like, how do we pray? What's this about? Again, I want to start with, there's nothing wrong with going to the Lord with our fear and uncertainty. If, if that's what we have, that's what we go to the Lord with. We go to the Lord with whatever we are and whatever we have. God can accept that. If we have nothing, God can take that. Again, God makes something out of nothing. In fact, He made everything out of nothing. He can take us when we have nothing and make us new. That's what He does with Hezekiah. And again, last week we talked about fasting from the messages of the enemy. Find ways to reject the messages of the enemy. Fast from our devices, from our news, from any way that we're receiving the messages of the culture and of the world. This week, I want to emphasize, in our fasting, we turn to the Lord. As we reject the messages of the enemy, we need to hear the messages of the Lord. We need to hear and receive the word of the Lord. Turn off our devices as a way of turning away from someone trying to seduce us and turn to the Lord as a way of going back to our first love. He is our first love. He is the one who really wants intimacy with us. And again, we offer what we have, even if it's not what we wish it was. Sometimes we, we think, oh, I can't pray because I don't have the words. Or I can't pray because that person prays so much better than I do. Or my theology is uncertain. The power of prayer is in God's love. God's power, God's goodness, 
not in our greatness or eloquence or our right motives even for our prayer. In short form, the power of prayer is God, not us. Another point. I don't know how many points that is now. Fourth fourth point? Maybe. Fourth point about prayer. This also shows us the importance of going to others. If you remember last week, Hezekiah said, Isaiah, you pray to your God for us. Hezekiah doesn't even have what it takes to pray. But Isaiah does. And so he asks Isaiah to pray for him. Look, you pray for us because we don't have it. Sometimes we just don't have what it takes. We need one another. This is the way God designed his body, the body of Christ, to function. We need one another. We need to bear each other's burdens, sometimes just in our prayers. I've told this story before, but several months ago when I was getting ready to preach, I was attacked, spiritually attacked, in a dream where the enemy spoke lies to me about myself. And I spent all day feeling oppressed. And finally, when I was able to talk to Grace about it, she said, sounds like you're being spiritually attacked. And I went, oh. And then she prayed for me and I was released from that attack. I didn't have what it took. All of us, some of the time, don't have anything. We need each other to bear one another up. That's the purpose of the body of Christ, is to bear each other up and make us more like Christ, even when we don't have what it takes. Last point about this prayer of Hezekiah's. This prayer is really a model of prayer for us. It's a lovely prayer that can shape our prayers. Basically, the heart of the prayer is, God, glorify yourself. You can see that right in the Lord's Prayer and in the prayers that Jesus prays. God, glorify yourself. Give yourself honor that all nations might know that you are God. It's a powerful prayer. This is a faithful prayer, a God-centered prayer. It's not about Hezekiah and his circumstances. It's about, look, these guys are mocking you. Are you going to allow that to stand? You can glorify yourself and show off your power to all nations. And so he does. This prayer picks up on God's purposes for the nations, right? God wants the nations to come to, to him. This prayer picks up on God's purposes for Israel and for Judah. Judah's purpose was to be a place where the nations were blessed by seeing God at work. And this prayer picks up on Isaiah's whole message for the first 40 chapters. That is, God is really a mighty God who is powerful to save. It's a powerful prayer. Prayed by the same guy who a few verses before had nothing to offer had no prayer to give. God has changed Hezekiah, and it's powerful. Okay, what does the Lord's Word mean? We're going to move on to looking at the Word of the Lord, which is the biggest section of, this, of our part of the text today. It goes from verse 21 all the way through uh, verse 35. What does the Word of the Lord mean? What is it? We've talked about it creates. It provides order and purpose. It's a way that God acts and interacts with His creation and and moves in intimacy with creation. And it provides victory in creation. Again, as God speaks, things change. Here in our passage today, God's speech, His, His spoken word, takes a completely hopeless situation. Assyria is going to destroy the people of God. And He turns it into a victory for God's glory. 
In a very real sense, God's word never comes back to him empty. It always changes something. It produces something. His speech here begins with eight or nine verses against Assyria. And then we'll look at what he says for Judah. And then he makes a final declaration. So first, against Assyria. Um, It begins in verse 21. God says, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, this is the word the Lord has spoken. First, because you prayed, because you moved toward me in intimacy, I'm going to act on your behalf. Our prayer really does change things. And when we respond in intimacy, he wants to respond to us. He is constantly wooing us to himself in love. And he wants us to respond to him. Okay, so because you prayed, I'm going to act. Here's how I'm going to act. First, she despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. The virgin daughter of Zion, the daughter of Jerusalem, is wagging her head at Assyria, mocking Assyria, the most powerful human force in the world at this point. Zion, Judah, this small city, basically it's one city that is all that's left of God's people. And she is mocking the most powerful military force in the world. Judah here is a virgin who belongs to God, but will not be seduced by Assyria. She is a woman, a virgin woman, And the idea here is, partly, it's a young girl mocking the most powerful military in the world. So God wants to make sure that Assyria gets, they are not that powerful. But also, they have rejected, Judah has rejected Assyria's seductions. Judah will be faithful to the Lord. She will not turn and uh, be seduced by Assyria. And part of the, the image here is also... Judah is now mocking the one who has been mocking God. Assyria has been mocking the Lord. And Judah says, yeah, we reject that. You don't get to mock God. God is much more powerful than you. The next few verses talk about it. Assyria has been mocking the Lord and elevating itself. But God says about that, look, yeah, you've done all this stuff, fine. You've done it because I knew it was going to happen. You are just a tool for my plan. He says uh, in 26, Haven't you heard that I determined this long ago? I planned from the old days what, what I have now brought to pass, that you would destroy these fortified cities. Look, you are my tool. And now, as he says uh, in verse 29, I'm just going to turn you around. Look, you think you're all powerful and you've been doing this by your own strength. I'm just going to... Send you home. You are just a donkey, a workhorse for me. You're a tool for me to use. I don't know if you remember the uh, Rod Blagojevich scandal. He's a politician in Illinois who did all this illegal stuff because politicians in Illinois. Um, And he did all this stuff. And I remember watching David Letterman at the time and he opened his bit with Rod Blagojevich, such a tool. That's what God is saying about... Assyria, Assyria, such a tool. Just, you're just my instrument that I've used and now I'm going to send you home because you don't get to destroy and mock God. You don't have that power. Okay, that's what he says against Assyria. I'm just going to send you home. 
And then it's, it's not really clear when you're reading it, but his, his discussion of Assyria ends in verse 29. And then in verse 30, he begins to talk to Judah. He turns from Assyria to talking to Judah. And he says, look, this is going to be the sign for you. This year you eat what grows of itself. Second year what springs from that. Third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards, eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. The land has been totally destroyed by Assyria. And God says, look, you're gonna, the land will be fruitful again. The people have been totally destroyed almost by Assyria. And God said, look, you're going to be fruitful again. You're going to bear fruit. And I want us to notice several things here. The nation that he has just referred to as the virgin daughter is now bearing fruit. Take note of that. The virgin will be fruitful. God will make the faithful virgin into a mother. Hopefully you think of something in the New Testament, maybe. How is she going to bear fruit? Well, God is taking his fiance and making her into his bride. She will bear children. Of course, remember, this will be fulfilled in one way when Mary gives birth to a son who becomes the head of the church and the church begins to bear fruit among all the nations. And it will be finally and fully fulfilled at the end of history when Christ returns and takes this church, this not very faithful, not very holy, not very beautiful um, church, and makes it into a beautiful, holy, faithful bride for Jesus the Christ. God is taking us, we, in some ways, are the virgin daughter, and we are being made into a bride who will bear fruit in the kingdom of God. And then he says, the remnant will continue in the land because of the Lord's zeal, or you might translate zeal as jealousy or jealous love. Again, God loves his people. He wants intimacy with us. He is making a virgin daughter into a faithful bride. He wants intimacy with us. Amazing, right? So that's the Lord's word to Judah. And then he kind of sums everything up in 33 to 35. This is what the Lord says concerning Assyria. He's not even going to come to the city. Not even coming to Jerusalem. By the way he came, he's going to go back. He shall not come to this city, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. This is God saying, I'm going to answer Hezekiah's prayer. I am going to glorify myself. God answers that prayer, right? When we pray that God be glorified, he will answer it. He also is working for the sake of David. David, who was the past king, and also for the sake of the new David, Jesus, the Messiah. He's, he's going to answer this prayer and glorify himself for the sake of Jesus, the Christ, who is coming in the future. Future to them. Past to us. The Lord says, I will defend this city against all enemies. As Jesus has told us, he is the one who builds his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He does whatever is necessary to defeat the enemy. The enemies of death and sin and chaos. 
He sends his word. The father sent the word, the son, into the world in order to defeat evil. Jesus is the word, the clearest communication of God's life and character. Jesus is making the virgin daughter into a woman who bears fruit for the sake of his kingdom. What he did for Israel, what he did for Mary, and he is doing the same thing in us today. He is making us into a nation that bears fruit among all nations. And we will be a holy and beautiful bride for our Savior and our King, Jesus. Do you get the power of the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord makes reality change. Something happens when the Lord speaks. Once the Lord has spoken, salvation is guaranteed. There is no power in Assyria or anywhere else in the world. No enemy, not sin, not death. There is no enemy that can stand against the word of the Lord. And now in our passage, God has spoken. So, as we come to these last few verses, I'm going to read uh, verses 36 to 38. And remember, the Assyrian threat has been a constant in the nation of Israel for generations at this point. The whole book of Isaiah deals with the Assyrian threat. These next three verses are all we get on the end of Assyria. The threat is done in three verses. Let me read them for you. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharazer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after that, they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. That's it. 36 chapters, 37 chapters, that's the, enti- that's the end. There is no more Assyrian threat for Judah. They went from verse 35, I don't know if we can survive. Thir- verse 36, Assyria is no longer a threat. They're gone. Once the Lord has spoken, the victory is done. The way Isaiah writes this, The battle is an afterthought at that point. The Lord has spoken. What can Assyria do? Nothing. Assyria has no weapon that can stand against the word of the Lord. In one sense, the battles within creation are less real than the word of the Lord. Once the Lord speaks, everything else is just a response to what the Lord has already said. We might try and fight battles, but the battles aren't really real. The really real battles are what is going on in eternity, what's going on in heaven, and what's coming out of the word of the, out of the mouth of the Lord. Those are the real things. And, and I want to qualify that, right? Yes, of course, death is important. And the courageous actions of men and women in war are reflections of God's character. And battle is real, and there's a whole bunch of evil that have all of those qualifications. At the same time, heaven is more real than what we see, than the circumstances we experience. The word of the Lord is more real. That's the really real thing. The best picture that I have for this, uh, in my own mind, is C.S. Lewis's uh, The Great Divorce, if you've read that, where people get off the bus into heaven, and 
what looked like a really full human person on earth, you look at them now and they just look like a ghost and they step on the grass. The grass is too strong for them in heaven. It pierces their feet. That's the image that I, that I have in my own mind of once the word of the Lord comes down, look, nothing that happens here is real compared to the word of the Lord. Just like in Revelation 19, when the Lord speaks, there is no battle. Revelation 19, there are two verses that describe the battle, the final battle to end all history. There's no description of it because there's no need. The Lord has spoken. Again, Isaiah gives us a few, uh, a few interesting notes. 185,000 were killed. He's not interested in how they were killed. The angel of the Lord did it. Now, some historians have gone back and, and commentators wonder. Um, Herodotus, a Greek historian, talks about mice getting into the camp of Assyria in, uh, as they were making their way down into Egypt and mice carrying the plague. And so maybe the plague wiped out 185,000. Maybe. Isaiah's not interested. He doesn't care about those kinds of details. He cares about the word of the Lord. Everything else is just circumstances. And then also, he doesn't care to note that Sennacherib goes back to Nineveh and lives another 20 years. The way it reads here, um, Sennacherib might have died the next day as soon as he got back. He actually lives 20 more years and then his sons kill him. But again, it doesn't matter to Isaiah. The word of the Lord has come and reality has changed in significant ways. Over the next several generations, Assyria loses their dominance and they're overtaken by the Babylonians within a hundred years. They never again threaten the people of God. Amazing. In conclusion, the, the Assyrian Empire was an ongoing threat for several generations for the, for the people of Israel and Judah. And more than half of the book of Isaiah deals with this Assyrian threat. But God eliminates the threat. God takes care of Assyria just by the power of His Word. In fact, I want to go back to something that Rod and Dad have mentioned before, that after Jesus was raised from the dead and went back to His seat at the right hand of the Father, the Apostle Thomas actually goes to the region and uh, preaches the gospel to the Assyrian people. And so many Assyrians came to submit to Jesus as King. I find that just... An astounding note, right? The, the enemies of the people of God are changed into becoming God's people. God speaks His word over them. That's the ultimate word. And as we know now, they have been badly persecuted over the last several years, the Assyrian church. So our brothers and sisters who now submit to Christ, they've gone from enemies of God's people to God's people and now persecuted people of God. So as our brothers and sisters, we have opportunities now to pray for them. At the same time, let this passage remind us that we also ought to pray for those who persecute the Assyrian church and persecute all the people of God around the world. As Christ followers, we can pray for ISIS and other persecutors of God's church. As the Assyrians went from persecutors to the people of God, we pray that the same will happen in the lives of ISIS and many others who persecute Christians. We pray that instead of killing Christians, those in ISIS and other places would submit to Christ as king. Ultimately, Hezekiah's prayer gets answered, doesn't it? 
God reveals himself in power, wins a mighty victory, and makes himself known to the nations that he really is the true God. He is drawing all nations to himself until finally Jesus returns to fulfill his kingdom and to defeat all enemies just by the power of his word. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus will take his kingdom and offer it up to God the Father so that God will be all in all. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the mighty victory that you won by your word for Hezekiah and for Judah. We thank you for the ways that you transformed the Assyrian people from a people persecuting your people to being a part of your people. We pray that you would continue to move in that kind of way. We pray for those who persecute Christians around the world, for ISIS and many other places around the world where Christians are persecuted. We pray that you would transform the persecutors and that they would see your glory, that you would make them new and they would become submitted followers of Jesus the King. We pray in the same way that we might seek your glory and submit to your word. Would you change us? Would you continue your work of changing us and making us new? That we might be faithful followers of Jesus. Continue your work of making us a beautiful and holy and faithful bride for Jesus, our Savior and King. We love you, Father, and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.